I am Marcella Hunch, CEO of the Everway Foundation, and I'm the host of this podcast. In our last episode, we discussed the ocean potential to solve the climate crisis, opportunities to tackle the global plastic pollution, along with the question of how we can sustainably shape tomorrow's built environment. In case you have missed one of the last episodes, please have a look in the show notes. In today's podcast, we will focus on the topic of biodiversity. What is biodiversity all about and what threatens it? Why is it important to care about our biodiversity and how can we all protect and preserve it? Now I'm really excited to explore all aspects of this important topic. I'm very pleased to welcome a guest today who is a real expert in the field of biodiversity. Welcome Florian Titze of the Worldwide Fund for Nature. Thank you so much, uh, Marcella. Um, I'm very excited to be here and talk about biodiversity with you, um, a topic that cannot be understated in its importance for I think, all humans on this planet increasingly. So happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah, we are also happy to having you here as a guest today. So you work um, for a leading organization in wildlife conservation and endangered species, the WWF. Tell us a little bit more about what is your area of expertise and how did you get there? Um, yeah, that's a very good question. I remember when I was still studying, a, a university professor of mine told me that in social sciences, you never have a straightforward um, Vita uh, CV. And that's kind of true for me as well. I'm actually a political scientist. So that's why I said social scientist. And I have a master's degree in political science and in international relations. And I started off with peace and security, actually. So when I got my degree, I worked for the um, United Nations in New York. I, I moved to New York and worked there on, on mostly peace and security policy. But then, because well, also at the time, I thought this was the most valiant thing to do as a, as a young person. You know, world peace uh, is one of the most important things, of course, to work on still to this day. But I learned more and more how the long-term ecological crises are are even more of a threat to the future of our, you know, common existence. So while my interest in the topic grew also, I transitioned into the second committee in, in the UN in New York, which is sustainable development, climate, biodiversity, etc. And well, changed the topic I worked on more and more. And um, that's when, after a few years, I got the opportunity to move back to Berlin to work for WWF um, on international biodiversity policy in particular. So what I'm doing mainly is focus on international negotiations to uh, conserve and sustainably use biological diversity, nature, and to preserve our environment, basically. So... Um, on one hand, I'm a policy expert. On the other hand, through now multiple years of experience, I also know a lot about biodiversity and um, its interaction with our society. Wow, great. Yeah, I can also tell something about a CV, which is not like very straight, like an architect uh, and ending up now also in um, protecting our oceans. So yeah, I think that's a good common thing. And yeah, before starting with all the important aspects um, of biodiversity, could you please explain a little bit more about to us what exactly is meant the term biodiversity? What is it? 
What does it mean? That is a great question because um, I think it's really important to understand the complexity of it, actually. You think about biodiversity, the first thing that comes to mind is, is nature, right? Our plants and, and animal species. But biodiversity is much more, and I can read quickly the definition of the UN Convention on Biological Diversity, if that helps. It's, because it says, biological diversity means the variability among living organisms from all sources, including terrestrial, marine, and other aquatic ecosystems, and the ecological complexes of which they are part, and this includes diversity within species, between species, and off ecosystems. And that's a bit complex and, and maybe not um, so easy to understand. But what it basically means is that biodiversity is the diversity of all life on Earth, and not only of the individuals, but also in the basically networks which in they live and need each other together, like an ecosystem where the plants, the trees, um, and all kinds of animals, even microorganisms, fungi, everything works together, depends on each other, and works in a system. Casually, you could call it the net of life, the network of life, if you, if you will. Um, and that's really important to understand, because it means when, when we talk about biodiversity being threatened, it's not only how many species, for example, you take out of the systems you or go extinct, it's also how they work together and how uh, when they depend on each other, taking out one can already have a cascading effect of, onto others. And we're part of it too. That's very important to understand. Yeah. So from your description, it's like biodiversity is like everything. Without biodiversity, we couldn't survive. The whole planet can, couldn't survive. And yeah, actually, it's the most important thing on Earth, right? You could say so, because we are very dependent on it. I, I mean, the planet would survive, but um, when we think about our humans, it would be very difficult, especially in our modern society, to actually... Um, you, we can speak about keeping our existence, but I think when we really, what we really mean is, you know, the way we live today, in our modern complex societies, do they work without biodiversity? And there the answer is clearly no. And there you can, you know, think about our economies, our prosperity, but our health even security, it's all aspects of our society that are, um, and, and that's one key element as well, climate change and biodiversity are linked together. So to tackle the climate crisis, we need to also conserve biodiversity and the other way around. And there we see, you know, how important it is for, you know, our fragile system. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine because also the oceans are like very important for us and every second breath we take thanks to the oceans. And um, it's a thing which we take yeah, for granted most of the time. But if we look deeply inside, it's like a thing, yeah, which is for us humans, like most important thing on Earth. So that's really, really interesting. And um, unfortunately... We all know biodiversity is decreasing drastically. So even in our work, we realized that um, it becomes really, really clear that we have to take care about it, that everything is threatened. And if we now look to all types of biodiversity, um, the United Nations state um, that one million of the world's estimated eight million species of plants and animals are threatened with extinction, which is like a lot. So how do you assess the decline in biodiversity. So can you give us some insights about these numbers? Yes, I can. It's, it's of course hard to grasp right, these numbers and what they mean. And uh, the, the figure that you mentioned that comes from uh, a UN report from the UN panel on biological diversity and ecosystem services, 
most people are familiar with the climate reports, right? The IPCC reports. And that is sort of the sister panel for biodiversity. And they really looked at all scientific evidence across the globe on the state of biodiversity on the planet, the state of nature and how it's, you know, how we depend on it as well. And they come up with the figure. And what they say actually is that we're in the in the most recent mass extinction event already. You know, we've had, I think, um, so the sixth mass extinction. We had five in our um, world history um, before us humans, of course. Um, and you know, if you think about it, that one of those is believed to be caused by meteor. Right? Um, at the moment, it's it's us humans who are figuratively that meteor because we are the cause of uh, this most recent mass extinction event that is already underway because we see a vast decline of biological diversity of, of um, also ec ecosystems across the globe. And to put it into a few more numbers, and I think one is a good example, is that um, is, is population sizes. There's a, a data set that we as WWF every year, we, we update. It's the Living Planet Index and the Living Planet Report. And that measures the populations of those uh, groups of species that we measure. So it's mammals, it's birds, it's fish, amphibians and reptiles. And population size is important because if populations in terms of numbers go low enough, even if there's still some species around, some animals or some plants of that kind, they are practically extinct because they lose the ability to reproduce. There's not enough of them uh, to, to keep the population stable. So there, since the 1970s, we see an overall decline of 68%. That's a vast number. And that's basically if you really... the the numbers, right? The the mass, uh, how many are there of these animals and, and, and plants? 68% on average. And if you want to look at even more depressing numbers is when you look into freshwater ecosystems, so our rivers, our lakes, our coastal ecosystems. There, it's, it's over 80% of population size that we've lost uh, since the 70s only. Um, and when we look at that trend, you know, how fast that goes, um, we, we really get into areas where it becomes very, very threatening to us as well, because now we talk about species, but as I said in the beginning, an ecosystem is, I sometimes explain it by a, a um, Jenga tower, right? Where you have these little blocks that you can pull out. And if you pull out a few, the tower still stands and that's the ecosystem, it's still stable. But if you keep pulling out more and more, it gets more unstable. And if you pull out the right one at a certain point, this is the keystone species that others depend on, the entire tower collapses and then the ecosystem collapses. So that's why these numbers are so important. And that's why that's so threatening to us if we understand that we depend on these ecosystems as well. Wow. So you were mentioning um, a lot of yeah bad numbers and a lot of things uh, which should frighten us. But... Um, I always want to look on the positive uh, things um, and focus on that one. So um, there is still like a glimmer of hope. Um, and last December, the UN Biodiversity Conference, um, the COP15, took place in Canada, where a number of important goals were agreed upon. So um, there were like 196 countries come together and you also joined the conference. Um, what is your key takeaways from the conference, the most important things for you? Yes, thank you. And um, I, I really like talking about uh, that conference because I worked on it for about three years almost because these negotiations even happened long time before the conference and led to this agreement that you mentioned. It's called the Global Biodiversity Framework. And it's 
kind of comparable to the Paris Agreement, just for nature, um, although there's some differences. But um, what it includes is basically 23 global targets where countries, the 190s, that's almost all countries of the United Nations, that they need to take action uh, in the next eight years, basically, until 2030. And the key takeaway for me is it was incredibly difficult because these negotiations have a lot of politics involved. It's, you know, for some countries, this is national interest. This is really the most important thing um, they have. Uh, and it's, it's their, it's the richness of those countries. If you look, for example, as Central Africa, for example, where, you know, there's still a lot of intact rainforest. So it's in one way, it's what do we need to do? And on the other hand, it's also how do we do it and how is it fair? Um, so long negotiations, very difficult and almost at a point in between where we didn't think it could happen. But at the end, so that we had this surprisingly good outcome with high enough ambition to really keep the hope that you mentioned was really positive. So um, I'm really excited that we now move into the implementation of it because that's the key message as well. For now, this is a global agreement that exists on paper. The real hard part is now putting it into action, actually doing it, because there we see the most challenges. You know, you can compare it to the climate agreement where we know we're not exactly on the right path of implementing it. And here we have even more urgency and we need to act fast. Yeah, great. You said that it was, um, yeah, a lot of work, but did you expect this final results or was it surprising for you that it was finally positive thing? Um, it's, it was a bit of a roller coaster ride because, of course, um, when you do the kind of work I do, you, you have to stay positive because um, otherwise it's it's very depressing over a long time. And and we really believed in it and we worked very hard for it. But there was a time, as I mentioned, where it didn't look like the political agreement could happen because simply countries, for example, didn't agree on the financing. Right, there's a very important political part of it. So. I was surprised in the last days how well it turned out and suddenly how, you know, they were able to agree on it when um, the ministers and got together. It needs to be said, though, that this this agreement is a bit of a, the bottom line. Um, it is strong enough to turn the tide on biodiversity loss. But if we wanted to have the perfect outcome, so what we advocated for, There is still room for improvement, but that can happen through the implementation on the national level. So there's still a lot of work ahead of us to make sure, you know, there's no loopholes, there's, you know, no watering down in the national implementation. Um, it's going to be a struggle for the next years uh, that will keep us busy. Yeah, I can imagine. And uh, you were also um, mentioning the, the financial aspect. And one of the core results of the COP15 was also that richer countries um, must support poorer countries financially in implementation. And can you explain uh, this goal and how important the step is and if you think it's feasible? Yes, this is um, really one of the key pillars of this agreement because um, it it speaks to two two dimensions. One is... How can we make this fair? And I can speak about a bit why that is, because you know the the convention that this agreement is part of was agreed in 1992 already, and um, it was the Rio conference where also the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change was agreed. To to even get a convention like that was only possible be when addressing the uneven. Well, you could say responsibilities across the globe, because biodiversity loss has happened a lot because we have developed economically, especially in the global north, 
by destroying our ecosystems, by extracting the resources, by, you know, taking away the space even because our agricultural um, supply uh, or the demand has been so large that we need to take away the natural habitat of species and use it um, industrially. And in other places in the world, that hasn't happened yet, at least to that extent, where a lot of biodiversity is still left. And you think about um, the Congo Basin or the Amazon rainforest, which, of course, is going also in very um, negative trends at the moment. But the argument is, well, you global north countries in Europe and North America, you are now rich because you've extracted all those resources and you've destroyed your biodiversity. We in the global south haven't done that yet to this degree, but we also want to be rich. I'm really, you know, simplifying, right? <laughs> um, and we want to have our people um, better have better lives as well. We want to tackle poverty and, and, and food security. How can we come to an agreement that you know, addresses that unfairness, basically. And the idea is Global North supports the Global South in implementing by providing financial assistance, by providing capacity, by technical assistance to allow them to do their development sustainably without destroying the biodiversity, which is difficult and it, it requires a lot of support. So there it's sort of a common objective of all countries. It's not everyone on their own. And that's the one, the fairness dimension. The other one, of course, is that the implementation requires financing. It requires, it's very costly and um, and it's something that especially some countries in the global south, in Africa, um, for example, they don't have the resources to do it effectively because, again, they have societal issues in, in some parts like first priority uh, addressing poverty, for example. Um, so they're just to be able to implement it, we need money, and that money needs to come from all kinds of sources, private, but also public financing, international development aid, all that. And to address your last question, whether it's feasible, it is definitely. The figures are, they, they represent a big increase. It's basically a tripling of the existing financing, the international financing, in the next um, eight years, which is a lot. But the question whether it's feasible is more a political question, right? Is it important enough for the governments that have made that agreement compared to other things? If you compare it to the amounts of money we're spending on, um, in Germany, right, infrastructure, um, roads and, and highways and things like that, it's it's really minimal. It's not a lot of money compared to what our governments spend on other things. And if you think about that, what we're trying to solve here is the foundation of all life on Earth. The price isn't actually that high. It's a comparative uh, uh, exercise, basically. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you were talking about areas which are still intact, like still working like the rainforest or parts of the rainforest. And um, when I remember a couple of years ago, I met Dr. Sylvia Earl. She's like um, her deepness. The, the, for me, she is a really role model for the oceans. I, I met her once and she said that in her lifetime, she saw so many coral reefs dying. Um, and that half of all the coral reefs she knew from her youth, uh, the first diving experiences were dying. And that's just 50% are left. And she said, like, of course, we can now look on the bad thing and say 50% died in the last 50 years. But she said, Let's better have a look on the positive things. 50% are still alive and we can protect them. And that's what she is doing. Like she made these protection areas in the oceans and she's really looking at the positive thing and puts all her energy into saving these 50%. And that was a thing which yeah, motivated me totally because she said, doesn't matter 
what's going on with your project or whatever, raise your voice for the oceans. And I think it's the same when I listen to you. You raise your voice for the planet, for the biodiversity, for all the animals, all the species on Earth. And for me, it's like, it's so, so, so important. And I think your job couldn't be more important for the future life. So what is your personal motivation to do all this, to raise your voice for the species, for biodiversity? Well, thank you. First of all, this is... Uh, um honoring me that you, that you the high high praise you have um uh, and I, I can um understand what you feel by the example of the corals because they they are such an first of all they're beautiful and they really you know there is a, a sense that it's hard to put into rationality why we should preserve this right um but on the other hand they're so valuable and they're an example of how everything works together We won't be able to save the corals without addressing climate change because climate change warms the oceans ocean acidification We also need to protect the ecosystem because they're key species that a lot of other species depend on and there's symbiosis going on and they have such important functions also in, in disaster risk reduction, we call it, for example, right? Because reefs really help uh, against natural disaster events like storms and floods and, and things like that. So the connections are everywhere and it's so important. In terms of what, what motivates me, On, on a personal level, you, you can, of course, say that there is a, a passion and, and, and a sort of a love for our, our ecosystems, which I as, I, as I explained in the beginning, sort of developed over time, right? Being more and more familiarizing myself with it and really experiencing the beauty of it and um, thinking critically, you know, of our part in on the planet as humans and, and what would be like a morally good thing to do and how to act, these kind of things. But also from a more rational perspective, and that's my political mind probably speaking, is um, we don't really have a choice <laughs> because the long term at least, um, when we when we get out of this constant loop of short-term development, short-term, you know, profits making and all that, we and there, there is not a single actor of maybe a few in our economy, but most of us really will depend on this. If we don't bend the curve here, the, change the trend, we will all, th this this current system that we're wearing, that we all like, you know, we all like um, having nice things and uh, uh, um, hopefully in a sustainable way, right? But we're doing pretty well for us at the moment in, in most uh, cases. And that will not be possible without changing that trend. I, I don't like talking about the economy that much because I, for me personally, it's not the most important thing. Biodiversity is, is relevant for the system. The system will collapse without it. And for example, financial institutions are starting to understand that because they see it as a systemic risk, they call it. It's, it's, you, you can't make profit in a world without biodiversity because it's the foundation of everything we do. It's just very far away from the current thinking of most people. So I've come to the realization that there's, it's not on the minds of most people, but there's another way if we want to you know, have a thriving civilization going forward long term. It um, can only work with biodiversity. We cannot substitute it. Yeah, you just said it's not in the mind of a lot of person. And I think this is a really, really important thing because if we want to change something, we need to do it together. That's why the podcast is like called Together for Sustainability because just together we can make an impact. We can yeah, change the world. And 
I know even from, from my, my work with a um, foundation where we inspire young people, inspire students, pupils to, to love nature. Because just if you love something, you can protect it. And if you don't know it, you don't care about it because you don't have a feeling for that. And I think for us humans, it, it is really important to feel something for nature, for the protection, to really come into acting. So if you, if, if we look at this point for, collaboration for doing things together for raising awareness i'm for example part of the uh, un committee for the um, ocean decade at the moment and the last decade was not regarding the oceans but regarding biodiversity and um, from my point of view from the last years it's really difficult to get this topic into the minds of the whole public um, it's getting into the minds of scientists and you can reach scientists you can reach a very small range of people, but not like the whole bunch of people, not the whole humanity knows about the decades, for example. What is your experience from the last decade? Did it change something? Did it raise awareness for the problem? Or was it just like on a very high level and not getting into the minds of the people? Yes, this is um, one of the most most important aspects of, of our, I say our work, because I think um, it's, it's quite the same goal we're working towards, but there is improvement in the in the general awareness and the the, the awareness of its importance, but it's going slow. Um, I've been working on the convention for about three years, but I know that you know, look looking way before two thousand and ten, where we had the previous agreement that was then agreed, you know, quite similar targets, um, not much progress, uh, to be honest. But there, the, the, the awareness was, was much lower. And we see also an increasing political importance, although it's still not as important as it should be. It's very much down there on the list of priorities of, of decision makers and governments. But we see it more and more being seen as something that that is relevant because we can we're able to connect it and that is because of scientific advancements as well like the the global report we spoke about that it's connected and it's needed for for other areas that we already think are important like our economy when it comes to the general public i think the challenge is really the complexity and um that it's it feels far away although i see like a bird outside of my window and i see um plants and trees it's we don't see sort of the ecosystem and we don't we don't see how for example the amazon rainforest affects our life here in europe it's really like like that but it's complex it's far away and in an everyday life for example if you live in a city you it's it's very hard to understand and really feel the connection of what for example you have on your plates and how the, that relates to insect populations right it's 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 almost abstract and it's it's complex and, and we had the same struggle in climate change, right? Where it took a long time for people to really be, get aware and understand. There it's, although it's already complex, it's much simpler because you have a singular variable. It's greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. It's getting warmer. I'm really simplifying here, right? But but that's what people keep or increasingly understand where the problem lies. And okay, we shouldn't probably get all that CO2 in the atmosphere. It kind of makes sense. Biodiversity is different wherever you go in the world. It, it has multiple layers and it's it's you know it goes down to microorganisms in the soil you know how how well we can grow crops depends on the microorganisms in the soil you, you really have to do a lot of reading to understand these things and what we have to try to do is is make that complexity understandable 
and make it relatable for people. And I think the emotional level needs to be part of it because there is a natural emotional connection. I think that's why that's why it works when you see a polar bear somewhere on a on a bit remaining ice and is struggling. That resonates with people, although it's far away. So combine that emotional connection with the understanding that the polar bear matters for you as well. You know, it's not somewhere in the Arctic and well, it's sad, but it doesn't affect my life. It does. Just there is long change ch- uh, chains of correlation there, right? It's and and that's something we're working on, but it's really difficult to figure out. Yeah, I really can imagine that because it's it's difficult to to make this complexity easy understandable for the daily life, even to to get it into the daily life. But when we look at our daily lives, at the um, the single persons, what can every single person, one of us? do to promote the biodiversity? Um, it's a very good question and, and one that I get a lot because, of course, on one hand, you, you want to speak about things everyone can do, right? Be- and, and it's mostly things that are don't start with the hardest thing, right? I would say just talk about it and and, and try to familiarize yourself with it. Understand what it means for you and, and go out. <laughs> go, go out, uh, especially out of the city and experience some of it and learn, um, as you say, right? As you said, um, you need to, to know it, to love it, and you need to experience it. Um, knowledge, I think, is very important here. Then, you know, spreading that. You can do a lot with your consumption, of course, if you want to address your um, environmental footprint or ecological footprint. Your diet is very critical. It's it's only so much a single person can do, but the way you eat does really do a lot because agriculture and, and the way we use, basically, the way we use space on land, you know, with uh, the, that that has the biggest impact, and especially in agriculture. So um, it's it's an unpopular topic, but if you don't eat meat anymore or less meat, you decrease your ecological footprint by a lot. And I mean, it's also, it's becoming more and more trendy, right? And that's a good thing. Also, we need to be a bit careful about greenwashing, but uh, that's that's where you can start as well. Your consumption, basically, because consumption is a real big driver. And then I would, would say the way you vote does matter as well. I'm not promoting any particular, you know, party or policy, but understand that the big levers that we need to pull to really change, because it's a systemic issue at the moment. But there is, and, and that's what you see in the global agreement as well, some of these actions that are being agreed will be very difficult and they will require policy um, changes from the top. So not only ministries, but entire governments will need to change the way they act, and not only in the environment ministry, but also in the finance ministry, in the um, economics ministry, the agriculture ministries, um, everywhere, And that will require a lot of political will. And that's what brings me, you know, what government will be in power matters a lot. Um, So you can change also uh, a lot with the way you you vote. Yeah. Thanks for that. And I think it's it's really, really important that we all know that we can do something. Because most of the time we feel like helpless and think, oh, me as a single person, it doesn't make a change what I do, what I vote, what I eat, something. And I think it's really, really important to get into the mind of the people. It makes a change. It does matter what you do. It does matter who you vote for. It does matter what you eat. So thanks for all these insights. And as you're an experienced biodiversity specialist, is there anything you can recommend to the audience, like a special book, a podcast, a movie, which um, gets you deeply into this topic? Is there something inspirational? 
Um, I need to think for for a second. One thing that comes to mind, and that's probably not very easily consumable, um, but it gives you a lot of insights about the economic side of things, is um, a very famous economist that wrote the report that came out, I think, last year. It's called The Economics of Biodiversity. It's not an easy read because it's very long and it's economical. And But there's, there's summaries out there, right? You can read summaries. Um, it's really important because he has an economic point of view on biodiversity and he basically describes what our system gets wrong and why it's in our interest to change it. He basically describes, well, <laughs> the way we calculate in our, you know, economic decisions, like if you're, for example, if you're a bank or if you're a producer or something, you don't have nature in the equation. You treat it like something that is endless, an endless source. And that's not true. So, and I've told you about the numbers, right? So at some point, we're going to reach a point where the, there's just nothing there anymore. And then that doesn't work anymore. And he does that in a very, in a much better way than me. It's, a, it's very insightful because it shows you, oh, this is all connected and there is a fundamental flaw in the way our system runs. And it's, 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 we can't just ignore it. This is more the, the technical thing that I'd recommend. Uh, the Dasgupta review on the economics of biodiversity. Um, the second one is a movie, actually. I'm not sure if it's even, if it, I don't think it runs in cinemas anymore, but I'm sure there's there's DVDs or, you know, you can stream it. The movie is called Everything Will Change. And it's more of a, it's a fairy tale. Uh, but it's a fairy tale that includes a lot of scientific evidence that is actually coming from real scientists, including some that have written this global review that, are, that I mentioned. And it's a fictional story about young people in the future that live in a world without biodiversity. There's, it's not perfect scientifically because you can argue whether that world's going to be there if there's no biodiversity. But the, the fun part about it, and I don't want to spoil the whole movie, but they live in a world where people not only have no biodiversity left or very little, they have forgotten about it. There's no, you know, they see a giraffe and they think it's fake, you know, on a, on a screen because it's um, one of my wildlife colleagues always says a very beautiful thing or it's a tragic thing, but in a way it's, it's almost uh, poetic. It's every species dies twice or ex goes extinct twice. And the first time it's actually going extinct, you know, the last individual has died. It's no, no longer there. And the second time it goes extinct is if we forget about it, if it goes extinct in our memory, because then, you know, it's no longer important. And that has happened in that movie. And it's a real beautiful story about rediscovering that. And it's it's sometimes a bit hard to watch because it's also, you know, it shows you how cruel we humans can be. Um, but for me, it, it I, I got a bit emotional when I saw it. So I would recommend that as well. Everything will change. It used to be in cinemas, I think, last year. More like an indie movie, not very big, um, but definitely worth a watch. Wow, thank you. Yeah, that's uh, a really good advice. Thanks for that. And um, thanks for talking to you. It was so impressive to get to know all these these conclusions, all the insights, all the examples. And we learned a lot of biodiversity, how complex it is, but also how important it is for the whole life on Earth. And that it's not really important for the planet itself, but most of most of the time for us. And only together we can really, yeah, make a difference. We can really take action. We can um, get the, uh, to set up the goals for COP15. And um, that's what we're talking about, together for sustainability, because just together we can do that. 
So thank you, Florian, for being here as a guest today. It was really a pleasure, this conversation. And um, let's focus on the common goal we, we both to have. Thanks for being here and uh, about all the information. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. And I, I really, I, I could speak on this for, for much longer. <laughs> um, and, and I would leave one final message for the, for the audience um, because I'd, I may have sounded, made it sound like work, you know, getting familiar with biodiversity. It's really exciting. It's, it's like an addiction almost. If you, if you familiarize yourself with, start with examples like this one tree that, you know, there's documentaries everywhere and learn about the relationships between the species, how the cocoa plant depends on this little mosquito, you know, and these kind of things. It, it really is, is, is magical and it's a lot of fun to learn about it too. So um, maybe that's um, a nice final message as well if you want to really learn about it and familiarize yourself with it. And thank you for this, um, for this great conversation. I really appreciate it. Mm -hmm.